Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Naki Sawyer. And I'm Gabriel Marcotti and we thank you for joining us. Now with us in the studio, it's The Times Chief Statistical Officer, Mr. Bill Edgar. Down the line, it's the very excellent George Colkin, who's kind of like in a Kerouacki on the road mood uh, this week. So look out for his big piece on Friday. Can't say any more about that. And joining us after flying from the uh, Camp Nou in Barcelona over to Fulham, apparently on, on his way to Pinot Craven Cottage, I'm assuming the, the training ground, it's the magnificent Henry Winter. Later on, we'll be asking if Rafa will be conflicted against the Reds this weekend. But we start with a bad week for English clubs in the Champions League. Barcelona take a 3-0 lead to Anfield in the semi-final after an incredible first leg at the new Camp. Lionel Messi with a second-half brace, including a phenomenal free kick. Henry, was 3-0 a fair reflection? Well, not particularly in terms of the way that Liverpool played. But when you're playing against one of the greatest three players ever to don a pair of football boots in Lionel Messi then, you know, just extraordinary acts like uh, what he did with the free kick, as you mentioned, 29 yards out, gets one of the world's best goalkeepers, curling it around the wall, placing it in a position where Alisson could even reach it. Then, you know, you're, you're, you're up against the, you know, the celestial spirits of the game. So, look, Liverpool played well and Klopp spoke proudly afterwards, but they just came up against the genius. Henry, I, I, I watched this game on, on Sky Italia where they have like a whole procession of, of ex-pros and, 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 and players, ex-players and managers sort of analyzing things. And what was interesting was, was Billy Costacurta, the great former center back, thinking like a central defender. He said what was so frustrating was that Liverpool played so well. And when they go back and look at it, especially Van Dyke, he's not going to say oh necessarily, oh, I made a mistake. But he might say, I could have done things differently or there were things that on the goal incidents where they could have done things differently and things could have worked out they wouldn't have had the, the, this 3-0 scoreline which I agree with you doesn't reflect the game and obviously on, on, on the first goal the, the the not tracking Suarez on the the goal where Messi kind of chests it in maybe reacting more slowly not expecting the ball to come back out and also on the free kick as great as it was could he have set up the wall differently is this all just kind of excessive nitpicking, but also maybe what sets up after the fact, the fact that people go and second-guess themselves and push themselves? Or well, do we just accept that Messi would have just beaten you a different way if you'd done those things? Well, I think the ex-players you're talking about on Sky Italia, I mean, the reason why they got to the top of their profession is that they probably did nitpick. They were true Italian defenders who focused on every little tiny detail. And, and Virgil van Dijk is a... 
he's a very intelligent individual. He will go and examine, but particularly for the first one, because that's Suarez run. I mean, you know, we've seen that in English football, the way he does target that. Look, it's a sensational ball in from Jordi Alba. Could um, Liverpool's defence have read it better when Henderson was, was slightly in the way? But look, it's a fantastic ball in. Great one from Suarez. Absolutely, I think Virgil van Dijk will be questioning himself on that. I think with the... With the and the third one, you can't, you know, it's, it's Alisson's job to sort the wall out. It's a four-man wall. Um, Van Dyke was to one side marking Langlet, and uh, Milner was the other side dealing with, I think it was Rakitic. So I, I think the wall, you know, there can be any accountability, to, you know, put it towards. I mean, everyone, there's this narrative at the moment, let's pick holes in Virgil Van Dyke's game because the PFA players have just voted him um, player of the year and I understand that agenda within the game and within the tribal nature of clubs but he's been a fantastic football I, mean, look, I voted for Sterling but Virgil van Dijk the best defender in the country but but the thing is is that when you're up against Suarez who everyone says always oh, 32 he's sort of not as sharp as he was when you're up against Messi one of the greatest players who ever lived you're dealing with um, probably fresher players that you're dealing with in the crazy Premier League you're dealing with two you know sensational players, particularly in Messi's case, better than with respect to Aguero and Sterling than you're dealing with in the, uh, in the Premier League. So, you know, I think you can nitpick a little bit and I'm sure he'll analyse his game, but you know, at some, some point you've just got to say, those, are, those particularly the two, the first and the last, they're just sensational goals. One with the movement, the passing, the execution, and the third just with the, the dead ball brilliance. But certainly I agree, first Van Dijk will, will analyse what happened with the first goal. Henry, is there a worry then this great season that promised so much for Liverpool could actually end sour now? I think it's been an unbelievable season for them. I mean, you've only got to see the quality of the football they've played. I mean, I've been reading that this is a fairly boring title race. This is one of the greatest title races that we've seen in English football in 30, 40 years. Because of the quality, people say, oh, well, we're just waiting for one of them to slip up and they're not likely to slip up because they're so good. Well, why don't you focus on the, the, the second element of that? That unbelievable ability in Manchester City and in Liverpool, who are just fantastic rivals, going for head-to-head, you know, and third place is absolutely just miles off the radar when you look at the quality of the, the, the top two. So it, it, it will be hard to say this the season's going to finish on a sound note for Liverpool. The Liverpool fans will be looking at the, the type of football they've played, the number of players they've got in the PFA team of the year. You can debate about whether Virgil van Dijk should have won it, but you know he still had an, an amazing season. I think, obviously, they're still hoping that Brendan Rodgers will, will do them a favour and Leicester will take um, a point off, uh, point two off, um, off Manchester City. But I, I hate this oh, the bottlers, the season's terrible. This will be one of the great seasons, you know, they've had in recent years because of the quality quality of the football that they've played and clearly the direction of travel that they're going in on the clock. Henry, uh, you mentioned Klopp there. It, it's funny because we've been a little, you know, not critical, but we did point out that when Pep Guardiola stumbled in the Champions League, a lot of times it's because he... He throws something different in the game that you don't expect, a personnel change or tactical change. Last night, um, he leaves Roberto Firmino uh, on the bench, possibly he's not fully fit, plays Wijnaldum, um, drops Trent Alexander-Arnold for Joe Gomez, who I don't believe it's actually started a game since uh, 2018, obviously coming back from injuries. It obviously panned out because... 
not in terms of results, but but Stoke obviously panned out in terms of the performance that Liverpool put in. But was this something that you were expected? Because Jurgen Klopp, correct me if I'm wrong, but he generally does not go and, and sort of throw curveballs when, or certainly such radical ones, when you least expect it. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised that Trent Alexander-Arnold was was left out, but then Klopp watches him in training, he talks to the sports scientists, he talks to the medal to staff. I don't know whether Trent Alexander was, was having a, a, a dip. I would certainly have played him because I think his pace would have been needed against Jordi Alba, who was, who was terrific on that side. I, I was surprised that Henderson didn't start. I know it's unfashionable to like Henderson, but you talk to players, talk to Liverpool players in particular, and they, you know, they'll say on and off the record, particularly off the record, they'll just say what a leader he is and how he sort of drives them on. Who I would think you have dropped? Sorry, sorry, Henry, we, who would you have dropped to make way for, for Henderson? Do you know, I was slightly surprised that when Alden played in that position. If you could play Wijnaldum, play him in midfield, but not play him with his back to goal, playing in almost like a sort of Firmino in that, in the sort of the, the tip of the diamond. I mean, I've analysed Wijnaldum's career. One of the Dutch newspapers did a fantastic piece about three months ago when they analysed all the different positions he's played at during his career. And he has played as a number 10, but I don't think it's one of his most strongest positions. And, and clearly it, it didn't work. So, yeah, I was so slightly surprised. But I think actually, if you want to make your point, when Alden would have dropped back into midfield, then I'd have had Henderson starting ahead of Milner. If Barcelona score an away goal at Anfield, Liverpool will have to then score five. Bill, how do we rate their chances in the second leg? Um, I'm afraid they're very slim. I mean, I know Barcelona did lose a three-goal league in the Champions League last season, but Barcelona had won 4-1 at home, so Roma had the away goal and a good win on the away goals rule by winning 3-0 at home in the second leg. But uh, on the face of it, Liverpool played very well and probably only deserved a one-goal defeat. And so you could quite easily see them uh, winning the second leg, but it's probably going to be too much. It's definitely possible. It's it's certainly worth watching. There's some jeopardy in it, but uh, it's a long shot. Um, I mean, you you could say that last night, had Messi not been there, aside from Messi, Liverpool deserved to win. But Messi's contribution flipped the game on its head, especially towards the end. I mean, we often talk about Messi just walking through games. He was so dominant in the last 20 minutes. He he was getting uh, space between the defence and midfield and uh, and running at uh, the back line and he's just causing chaos so uh, so he had the energy to do it so I guess that's why he doesn't uh, waste his energy earlier in the, the match but uh, looking at his goal scoring record because he got his 600th goal uh, for Barcelona yesterday the next highest scorer for Barcelona ever was Cesar Rodriguez he had got only 232 so so Messi 368 goals more than the next than more than any other Barcelona player and only one player has ever got as many as the 368 for one English club Dixie Dean for evidence so, I mean it, it, he stands so far ahead of everybody else albeit of course having played his entire career um, Jimmy with Barcelona get? Well, he got a lot of goals, but he played for no, I know, but how many? various various clubs. Uh, I think he got the most top division goals in England. Uh, I think it was high 300s. Uh, but yes, right. he played for Tottenham, Chelsea, West Ham, and he went abroad as well. So he would move. It was his goals were spread around. You know? Brian but, Clough had a ton of goals. Mm, him, yeah, in the in the, the second division. Yeah, um, look over his Messi's goal record and over the last twelve years. Just generally, his play, he never ceased to, to lose form. You know, you, you'd forgive him the odd, over 12 years if he had a couple of 
substandard seasons, the odd three or four month spell where he wasn't quite doing it. You still say, yeah, he's the greatest ever, ever obviously, but it, it just it never seems to happen. It's just, it's just amazing. The, the worst of the last ten years, the worst goal ratio is forty-one goals in forty-nine games in all competitions. It's just something about his his attitude. He just doesn't seem to doubt himself. I'm presuming he can't need a psychologist. He, he just he just has the right mental attitude all the time. And he's been lucky with uh, getting very few injuries as well. You know, you'd say I'd, I'd say he's the best finisher I've ever seen. He's the be- best finisher. He's also the the best dribbler I've ever seen and the best passer I've ever seen. So, so, so it's with, a good all round game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> of course, it has been a bad week for the English sides in the Champions League. Tottenham were also defeated one 0 by Ajax in North London on Tuesday. What do you think, Bill? Was it a case of too many absentees for Spurs? Yeah, they they obviously missed um, the suspended Son and injured Kane. And even when when they're looking around for other attacking options, definitely even Lamella being injured was a was a bit of a, a miss. Um, they started uh, very poorly, but um, I think you have to give credit to Pochettino for changing it after half an hour. And he did he did change it to four at the back, put Vertonghen left back and Rose in midfield. Shortly afterwards, Vertonghen got injured, so it went off with concussion. So the personnel changed, but he, he did acknowledge that they were getting overrun by Ajax. And thereafter, I thought Tottenham were the, the better team. Um, so, uh, I mean, Sissoko came on and made a, made a big difference. He hadn't been, he wasn't in the starting lineup because there'd been doubts over his fitness. I'd be, given the way he played, you could say it was a mistake that they didn't put him in from the start because it did seem as though he was fit enough to play, you know, for a good part of the game. Clearly, Dyer's not fit. So you had this weird situation, and I think this is what probably really hurt them as well, was Christian Eriksen and Dead Alley had to spend so much time going and helping Wanyama so they didn't get overrun that when they got on the ball, they were physically spent. I mean, Christian Eriksen, he had one really pretty pass. Other than that, he did absolutely nothing the whole game. I don't think there's too much you can say to Pochettino. I think this is chickens coming home to roost from a team that's got a ton of injuries, that's tired. Even some people were critical of him, like, well, why did he start a back three when he knows that they only play with one center forward and Deuce and Tadis goes all over the place? So that's one of those typical, like, it's one of those typical questions to which there's no answer. The obvious answer is I want to get as many fit, competent players on the pitch as I can, so I'm going to play Davinson Sanchez. I don't have a problem with that. You know, the alternative is you start Sissoko and then the guy pulls a hamstring after 10 minutes and then you're screwed because he's not back for the second leg either. Well, should we talk about one of the big talking points from the game? You mentioned already that Jan Vertonghen had to go off. That was after he was involved in, in a clash of heads. Now, after a lengthy consultation, he was allowed back onto the field. But within seconds, he signalled that he had to come off and then appeared to collapse as he left the field. Poch- and vomit too. Indeed, yeah. Pochettino was seen holding him up. What do we make of all of this, what we saw? Well, Vertonghen, uh, if I was him, I'd be saying to the Tottenham medical staff, what are you doing? You're putting my long-term health at risk. They're, apparently, it's, it's, it, there is serious uh, implications if you get concussion and then you get a bang on the head soon afterwards. You know, there, There's a protocol to follow. You know, You do certain tests on the player. Now, either the protocol isn't good enough they did the test on Fertongen and decided he was fine to play and and it was simply wasn't the it, it wasn't good enough the test or they didn't do the test properly it's one of those two I mean it, it's it, happened it, before at Spurs with Hugo Lloris <coughs> a few yeah, years ago at Everton two or three yeah. years ago 
apparently you have to spend 10 minutes on doing a much better test to see if somebody's concussed or not. So I think they have to adopt that. Of course, the, the team is you either hold the game up for 10 minutes, which is, gets a bit boring, or, or you could introduce a, a temporary substitute. But either way, you have to make sure that players uh, are properly able to, you know, fit again to come back onto the pitch. You know, and obviously, there's a great temptation to throw players on because often they seem to be completely lucid and go back and they and they they do play for the rest of the game and it's all fine. Mm. But uh, I mean, so you, you, again, you could have uh, independent doctors, of course. The doctors clearly are under pressure. That the club doctors are under pressure to get the player back out again. And, I mean, perhaps that Yang Vertonghen himself has said, I'm fine. And it was slightly mm. delayed, the reaction that he then... I'm sure he suffered. did. And then I know people spoke to him after the game and he walked out and he was entirely fine. It was an hour later. I think this is something that the players need to take the lead on. You know, there, there is a players association, in theory, a PFA. They should speak up about this because there are people... Remember Alan Shearer did his, like... So he did his show about head injuries, and oh, oh yeah, we need to take better care. And then what? Nothing. Nothing. And that I mean, documentary itself was 15 years after. It was all absolutely yeah. obvious that research was required I mean, instantly and nothing happened for 15 years. I think when it comes to, to assessing this, there is some pretty clear information out there. What's really important is that you have, um, you have a baseline for each player because people may react differently to the concussion protocols and if you wanted to go down this road what you do is you go you establish the baseline for each player who's in a competition register for the competition at the start of the season when you have a clash of heads it should only take a few seconds for you to establish whether you need to apply the protocol you apply the protocol you can use var to do it as well and then you have an independent person applying the protocol and during that time you have a free sub some other dude goes on so that the game continues but you know what? We're just spectators. I mean, and frankly, ultimately, apart from on a human level, we don't care if these people's brains turn to mush or, or worse, right? It's up to the players to go and do something about this if they care about their well-being and the well-being of their colleagues. And I also think the club should also wisen up because I know of one Premier League team, and this hasn't really been talked about, that their central defender received a blow to the head in the first half. He said he was fine. Nobody really noticed. Nobody made a big deal out of it. And then in the second half, they conceded a whole bunch of goals and lost heavily. And they're pretty sure that the guy simply wasn't right afterwards. So, you know, there are, there are obvious things that, that, that you can realize that, that it's actually in your interest as a team as well to, it's not just a question of big bad teams exploiting players and using them as cannon fodder. It's actually a question of how does this impact your team's performance right here, right now? A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. 
When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League. It's just £8 for an eight-week trial. Now, every Thursday at thetimes.co.uk, our very own Bill Edgar provides 11 trivia teasers for you. And here is one for you on this podcast. Excluding current Premier League clubs, which league team has the longest current unbroken run of finishing in the top half of a league table, all within the Football League? They've done so for 10 seasons in a row and can make it 11 this weekend. Ooh. All right, Natalie. So, that's a lot of teams to consider. Yeah, but it's a football league, so this is this is your wheelhouse. <laughs> it's extremely unlikely that it's more than one promotion. Okay, right? Yep. Because it's kind of difficult to win two promotions. If it was two promotions, it would have to be from League Two mm-hmm. to the Championship, and then the club finishing the Championship top half of the table yep. every season, but never get promoted. It's that 10 years. It's not West Brom. It's not Villa. No. Derby County is the other possibility you said. It's not Middlesbrough because they were in the Premier League more recently. It's not Bristol City because I believe they were promoted into the... Or could they have been like sort of top half of the table for a long time and then... Could it be Bristol City? Possibly. Possibly. It's not Swansea. What about the P&E? Preston North End. They look like they've probably been in the last few seasons they've finished high. They've finished higher Mm. just outside the playoffs. Mmm. Well, we've given you some food for thought. We have no idea ourselves. This is one of those fiendish Bill Edgars. Uh, So stick around to the end of the podcast to find out the answer. Next up for Liverpool, the penultimate stop in the title race. George Colkin joins us now. And uh, the Reds, of course, are a point behind Manchester City with two games to play. They travel to Newcastle on Saturday night where they will be up against their old manager, Rafael Benitez. George, you have spent plenty of time with Benitez. How deep is the feeling for Liverpool within him? Well, it's huge. I mean, it's huge. It's a huge part of who he is. His family is still based in, in Merseyside, as, as he is. So he kind of commutes to Newcastle. Sorry, George, for those who don't know, because yep. we have listeners all over the world, and frankly, while I've been to Newcastle and I've been to Merseyside, I have literally never, ever driven from Rafa's house to um, to Newcastle or indeed taking public transport. Can you give us an idea of where these places are on the map, like how far it is? And you, know, you say he commutes. Does he do this every morning or... Oh, no, 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 no. Sorry, no, no. So he has a flat. He has a, you know, he's, based, he's based in Newcastle. He has a flat clock in, in Newcastle and but then sort of after games would you know would look to try and go home for a couple of days there are times he gets a helicopter back to Merseyside um, the he drives or is driven or does also get the train quite quite regularly so um, but but you're talking about a sort of three to four hour drive depending on traffic I mean he tends to leave 
because of the kind of fellow he is, he would tend to leave in the middle of the night to get to, to make sure he gets the training ground first on a Monday morning or a Tuesday, you know, whatever whatever they do. So uh, I'm sure the roads are a bit clearer there. But yeah, it's not it's not sort of on the it's not on the doorstep. I was just on the helicopter thing. Obviously, I am thinking back to the other famous guy with Liverpool connections who supposedly used to travel by helicopter to Newcastle, and that's obviously Michael Owen. Um, were those yeah. Michael Owen stories true? Michael Owen always denied that he sort of <laughs> he commuted in by helicopter every day. An urban but he, he also he also never ever gave the impression of wanting to be at Newcastle. And the opposite is the case with with Benitez. There is that deep sort of feeling for Newcastle too, and the connection that he has with supporters. But you know, he's also juggling family life. His uh, his his eldest daughter is at university now, but uh, the younger one is kind of I think about sixteen and sort of doing GCSEs. And so he wants to be around and needs to be around to be around them too. But he has a deep and uh, you know it'll be a lifelong affiliation with with Newcastle because of everything he achieved there and the way that he was accepted there too. So he has that huge feeling within him for, for Liverpool. Is there any chance that Benitez and his players then might ease off when they take them on, on this weekend? There's certainly no chance of him, him easing off. I mean, that's something that he's talked about. He talked about before the Brighton game last weekend, that because Newcastle have got to, got to where they are, uh, in terms of being safe, that there is all you know there was there's that danger of players switching off a bit. I think they got safe last season, and they went on to kind of lose four games in a row. So, you know that that is a possibility. I mean, I've seen that said about Benitez and Liverpool, and I just think that is sort of absolutely the opposite of the of the fella that that he he is. He, he I'm sure part of him and his heart of hearts would love to see. Uh, Liverpool win the title, but there's a, there's another side to, to sort of human nature, which is also that the one thing that he didn't manage to do when he was at Anfield is is win the title. And you know, if Liverpool do do it now, then that's something that he didn't achieve. And I I don't know. I think I think the kind of fellow he is, he'll be doing absolutely everything possible to make sure that Newcastle that Newcastle win. Um, and you know, they've beaten Man City at home this season. So it is possible they can do it. You have to say it's unlikely because, uh, you know, fundamentally Newcastle are a limited are a limited team, and and to kind of get any positive result, they have to sort of all be at 100. percent But you know, I remember Guardiola. I think it was sort of after the Man City game last season. He he told one of Rafa's colleagues at St James's Park that he'd presented them with more you know, a bigger test or a bigger tactical challenge than any other manager that season. It's not that Newcastle are obviously better than Liverpool or, or Man United or Chelsea or Arsenal or whatever. And I, I'm just sure that he will be attempting to do the same thing on, on Saturday night. I really, I really am. George, while you're here, look, can I ask you the situation with um, Rafa Benitez and could this be Benitez's last home game as the Newcastle manager? Well, yeah, of course it could. There still hasn't been any substantive... Uh, sort of negotiations. There's nothing on the table for him at the minute, and so the local paper in Newcastle, for example, has started this campaign, sort of calling for something to be sorted out. But it does feel a bit desperate at the minute. There are talks planned, and there are talks planned with Mike Ashley. So it's not the end necessarily. And the other thing to say is that there is still sort of takeover stuff rumbling around in the background, um, and you know that may have an influence at the moment too. But yeah, I think Stanley's got two games, two games left at Newcastle, and um, there will be huge tension 
until that is rectified, if it can be. Okay, you know how we all love to role-play here? And since I'm assuming nobody else wants to do it, I will play the Mike Ashley role, uh, since Rio Ferdinand isn't here. Um, no, <laughs> I, I, on, on a serious note, like... From Ashley's perspective, what is the thinking? Would we, if, if he were sitting here and, and you were to ask him directly, as I'm sure you do every day, about, you know, why hasn't Rafa extended his deal? Would Mike Ashley plausibly say it's because he wants assurances about investment? It's because he's mulling over other offers? It's because he wants a pay rise? It's because I asked him to take a pay cut. I don't know. I mean, what what, what are the possible reasons from, from Mike Ashley's end? I mean, I have learned to my cost that attempting to second guess what goes through Mike Ashley's brain when it comes to football <laughs> is is utterly is utterly redundant. But I still do play that game. Are you are you sort of asking what is the logic behind Mike Ashley not having managed to get him? signed up already is that is that what you're sort of asking yeah i mean mike ashley might have a valid reason and and there might be one more reason actually which is that as great as rafa benitez is if i'm mike ashley and i want to sell the club if the club is locked into an expensive long-term contract with rafa benitez that might make it a little bit less valuable depending who the prospective buyer is the prospective buyer might say you know what i don't want rafa benitez i want my guy and I don't want to have to then pay to get rid of Rafa Benitez. I've been trying to figure what could possibly be well, the hurdle. So I think, I mean, this is just this is just my reading of it. I think one of the, and again, completely, this is just my That's personal true. opinion. Yeah. I, I think the Debenham thing with Mike Ashley has, has taken up his thinking and his time. And Newcastle has always been an afterthought. So I think in the last few weeks, that might be why there's been a bit less urgency, and I think they've been. I think the club have been playing for time effectively. I think they will meet, and I think they will talk. So I think that's one thing. You know, that's one thing to say. They have been quote unquote trying to get uh, Rafa to sign a new deal for 18 months. They said that themselves publicly the other week when they released their finances. But when you look at it, what does that actually mean? Well, when they first approached Rafa, it was in the January transfer window last year and he was absolutely frantic about bringing in new players and he could not understand their logic of that approach there and then okay so there was that they then tried again i think the following summer by which time the fault lines about transfer windows and the tension and him not getting what he thought he should have been getting were firmly established and so the lack of trust was there they would say to him, okay, well, if you don't sign your contract, why should we sign new players? So both sides say they want to stay. So the logical outcome should be that he stays. But trust has dissolved or has been fractured to such an extent that Rafford would want guarantees, not just about the amount of money he gets to spend, but how it's spent, when it's spent, and what happens if it's not spent. And it becomes quite, you know, it then becomes quite difficult to find a solution. To Ashley, I think Benitez represents a guarantee, more or less, that the club can stay in the Premier League, because he's proved that over the last kind of couple of seasons. And, you know, I think they would say in public that they want more than that. But that, you know, that is the bottom line. This is a club built around staying in the Premier League. That's where their money comes from. Rafa wants 
guarantees that Newcastle can represent something more than that. And it doesn't just take money to do that. It takes ambition. It takes a sense of aspiration. It takes it takes investment, emotional investment as well. So it's a kind of interesting dilemma. George, now, I've been reliably informed that you are currently traveling the country on behalf, on, on special assignment. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming you're away from Newcastle, so probably in less pleasant surroundings. Where have you been? Where are you going and why? I'm currently sitting outside and outside in my car in a lay-by outside a... In Canic? Um, no, I think I'm in... There's a massive sign in front of me that says Monmouth, so that's clearly where I am. I've kind of forgotten what the purpose of my life is over the course of the last <laughs> three days. I've been to Glasgow and back, uh, drove six hours to Swansea yesterday, and I'm, dri- and I'm driving to Macclesfield now. So um, it's nothing if not showbiz. Okay, now I'm trying to figure out why you're doing this. Uh, now, wait a minute. Hang on, hang on. Bill always sets us these trivia teasers, which are fiendishly nasty. But Bill doesn't know why you're on the road. Natalie and I do know because we got some inside information on the desk. Now, why would George possibly have been to Glasgow, Macclesfield, and Swansea? Uh, Well, Macclesfield have got a big game this weekend, obviously, to try and stay in the league. Sol Campbell's the manager there and Gerald's the manager of Rangers. Who's the Swansea manager, Bill? Do you know? Graham Potter. Yeah, but it's not who about that. Maybe who's the vis- who was the visiting who was team? Hey, last night, Derby. Oh, yeah, Frank Lampard, yeah. <gasps> yeah, yeah. yeah. So Lampard, Yeah, so the Gerard, three big England. And Saul Campbell. Stars, yeah. got it. Yeah. You, Could have been, you know what, George? Consider yourself fortunate that Oldham Athletic are owned by <laughs> the people who they're owned by. Otherwise, you would have been away from Newcastle even longer because they would have made you go and, and watch more Oldham and write about Paul Scholes, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now it is time for our weekly predictions game where we try and predict the score in five featured matches this weekend. Gab, what are we going to start with? Ooh, let's start with Eddie Howe against Mm. the Potch. Now, I find it really, really difficult to call because if you're Pochettino, what do you do? You mm-hmm. want to finish top four and you think, oh, it's Bournemouth. And the thing we know about Bournemouth is their results get really erratic late in the season because they normally hit safety and all the players go on the beach, which weirdly, though, doesn't mean that they just keep losing, although they do do a lot of that, is that there's no pressure on them. So sometimes they turn in these amazing performances. They take all these risks. Mm-hmm. If you were Poch, would you play Christian Eriksen in this game? Well, or would you say, listen, rest up so you don't turn on the kind of ghost-like performance that you did in the first leg? Yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, but they know that a win will secure their place in the top four. So you think he, he's going to want to go for it. I expect goals. I expect a wild game. I'm going to say Bournemouth three, Spurs two. Oh, right. Okay. And Oliver Skip to play. I hear what you're saying um, and I'm sure Maurizio Pochettino will have one eye on that uh, return leg in Amsterdam next week but I just think that they need a morale boosting win because they've lost to West Ham, they obviously lost to Ajax so I think they're going to win this one Tottenham, I'm going to go for a 2-1 win Alright, interesting Now mm-hmm. we have uh, your buddy Neil Warnock, Cardiff City <laughs> hanging in there yeah, against Crystal Palace, not down yet Cardiff, what do you reckon? 
It is, as you say, a massive game for them. They have to win to give themselves a chance of staying up and heading into their final game of the season. I think they will get the all-important win. Crystal Palace safe, obviously, no problems for them. I think they'll get a 2-1 win, Cardiff. Ooh. At home, I think they do all right at home. So there might actually be a relegation fight at the end of the season to keep us interested? Possibly, possibly. Right. I'm with you on that one. Also because I desperately want it to happen. So I'm going to say Cardiff 2, Crystal Palace 0. Oh. Now, Newcastle and Liverpool, we've talked about this at length with George um, Rafa against his old club. I think Rafa really wants to be the last Liverpool manager to win a piece of silverware that really, really, really matters. (laughs) I really think it matters to him. I think they're going to be up for it. I'm going to say Newcastle 1, Liverpool 1. Interesting. Okay. Well, I think, as we know, as Anna discussed, Newcastle could have a big say on the title. City not playing until Monday against Leicester. Mm. I I just think Liverpool will be You know what's going to happen on Monday? Riyad Mahrez is going to miss a penalty in the 94th <gasps> minute. And they will also equalise. We'll still have that great finale. Sorry, oh, go ahead. Gosh, I can't believe you just said that. Okay. I, I do think Liverpool will be too strong for Rafa Benitez's team. I think they'll come through and win this one 2-0. Let's drop into League Two. Big game at the county ground. Swindon against Notts County. Now, this is a situation, and I've swatted up on this. Notts County, of course, a historic team in in English football. They have to win or else they will drop out of the Football League for the first time in their 157-year history. Well... They are currently two points adrift of safety. They have to win and also rely on Cambridge doing them a favour at Macclesfield by winning that one. They do. Sol Campbell's Macclesfield. Sol Campbell's Macclesfield, indeed. Uh, Notts County do have a bit of a habit of conceding of late. Their last clean sheet was over a month ago. As for Swindon, well, they haven't won in their last six. So I think Notts County are going to win. I'm not sure whether that means they'll stay up, though, because I think Macclesfield might get something out of their game. I'm going for a 2-1 Notts County win. All right, I'm going to go for 2-0 Notts County win. Right, what about the game in Italy? Mm, not the only game in Italy, but one of them, a yes. big one, Lazio and Atalanta. Uh, this really matters because Atalanta, they're fourth in Serie A, which mm. nobody would have expected. They're one of the highest scoring sides in Europe. They're a lot of fun to watch. Lazio also competing in the sort of uh, battle for the uh, last two Champions League places, which is involving no fewer than six teams. And the other interesting angle to this is Lazio play Atalanta in the Italian Cup final as well the following week. So it's a prelude to that. Yeah, so there's a lot going on here. I think this fairy tale is going to slow down at some point. Lazio have been up and down. Mm. They don't have Sergei Milinkovic-Savic, who, of course, is the guy who, for, I think, 12 straight months, was linked every day with Manchester United by his agent, mostly. Um, but no, he is, he's a very good player who had a really bad start to the season and then started playing. But he, he's not going to be there. Um, I think Lazio win this. I'm going to go Lazio 2, Atalanta nil. Ooh, okay. All right. As you say, Lazio have been a bit up and down. They've won two of their last six. Atalanta unbeaten since February, February the 23rd. So they're doing really well. I like to think the dream will continue for them. So I'm going for an Atalanta 2-1 win. Just enough time to give you the answer to Bill Edgar's trivia teaser. We asked, excluding current Premier League clubs, which league team has the longest current unbroken run of finishing in the top half of a league table, all within the Football League? They've done so for 10 seasons in a row and can make it 11 this weekend. 
I mean, we, we went through everything <laughs> every single we day. We threw some of them out. We said we had we had Leeds, we had Derby, we had like Exeter. Mm-hmm, or... mm-hmm. So put us out of our misery, Bill. Well, they've they've done it ten seasons in a row, and as you said, they can make it eleven. But they might this, not. This so it's Preston. They might not, but they can make it. It is Preston, isn't the, it? The answer is a, a quite an obscure team. I have to look them up. See if it's called uh, Brentford. How did you not know this? I, do you know what the weird thing was? I did think about it, but then I was like, I'm not sure it is Brentford. They, fi- they finished uh, <laughs> top of League Two, and then the next uh, five seasons in League One, they were ninth, 11th, ninth, third, and second. And then in the Championship, they've been fifth, ninth, tenth, and ninth. And now this season, they can uh, make it 11 seasons in a row in the top half if uh, they beat Preston on Sunday and Hull lose and Blackburn draw. Oh, so within the well, bottom half of the table now. That's they are you, at the moment. But that's why I never got to them. I only went to well, Tall. I figured, like, yeah. who's going to jump so many spaces? And the next that uh, you did, uh, in Natalie did say Derby, and Derby are equal second on that uh, this list. So Derby and Sheffield United have both been seven seasons in a row uh, in the top half. Um, but if you included the top flight, then the answer would have been uh, Liverpool. After this season, they'll have been in the top eight, indeed, for all of the last 57 seasons since they were promoted to the top division in 1962. Many thanks to our excellent guests. Henry Winter on his way back from the Camp Now. George Colkin, look out for him. He might show up at a, at a Costa near you. And Bill Edgar. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It's just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. We're going to be back on Monday ahead of those Champions League semi-final second legs. Tell you what, we had a tremendous week. It ain't over. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. 